This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And welcome everyone to another edition of Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And let me just say, I'm going to go ahead and deviate from the norm. Of course, we're coming to you live, as always, from the 103.7 The Game studios. As per the norm, make sure you listen in however you do it, so we appreciate you doing so. Be it through the free 103.7 The Game mobile app. Smart speakers, your Amazon Alexas, your Google Homes, your Google Hub, your Nest, whatever. However, you listen to us, even through that old FM dial, the tower of power, too sweet to be sour, funky like a monkey, the sky's the limit, and space is the place. And we are here with you from 11 to 1, a full-blown two hours on tap for you today. And I mentioned deviating from the norm because I was going to get to some high school football, but I got to say, 2020 can eat a you-know-what, and it has been a you-know-what sandwich this year. And I just saw this pop up. This comes from the good brother Steve Caparata of WAFB-TV about 12 minutes ago. And I want to say, dude, like sometimes you just got to save this for later. And there may be more watching the tropics this week with 95L as of right now. Looks like a lot of these spaghettis, and obviously this is all right here, right now. This is all very early talk. It hasn't even developed to the tropical depression yet. But it's a low invest. L95 is what they call it. It sounds like an interstate to me. But a lot of the spaghetti models have it hitting the state of Louisiana. Now, I'd say probably it's spread about. It can make landfall anywhere from Texas all the way down to, like, the Florabama line, basically. That's where they're kind of just sitting this thing at. It could go anywhere right now. It, it, it's no holds barred, anything goes. But it feels like, more likely than not, it's Louisiana, possibly more towards the New Orleans and Alabama area. That's where it looks like the eye is going to hit, according to these spaghetti models. But trust me, there are so many of these things, and it's only... Saturday, this thing hasn't necessarily been able to strengthen up, but it's expected to, just so you're aware. That's what's going on. We'll keep tabs on it. And, of course, uh, our good folks over at News Talk 98.5, our sister station, they'll keep you posted as to what's going on with that. But seriously, 2020, you can eat a big old bag of you-know-whats with that kind of stuff that just popped up on my feed but now we're going to get to some more lighthearted things and more stuff that I like to talk about. Because trust me, I hate like hurricane season when hurricanes are hitting because that is the last thing I want to deal with. And I got lights flickering like crazy, yet it's pretty decent outside. It was drizzling a little bit earlier, but come on, just get it together. 
We're going to go ahead and start things off like we always do on Saturdays after that little rant about the Hurricanes. Huh. Can it just stop? Like I know technically it's like hurricane season. We're nearing the end of it, but it's like, come on. Why are we getting one more just right up the middle? Hopefully it's not right at the middle. We see like Lake Charles and us get hit hard again because, man, that, that was that was probably one of the worst ones I can remember was Hurricane Delta. I don't know what it would be. Would it be – I don't know what the F would be in the Greek alphabet. I know Gamma's – but I think Gamma maybe after Epsilon. I don't know. Enough about that. High school football. Let's get to the fastest three minutes in all sports. We start with some Thursday night contest. Basile takes down Port Barry in some Thursday night action, 21-12. Livonia beats Beauchene on the road, 23-7. And then you have North Vermilion beating Crowley in a really fun ball game that you heard on 106.3 Radio Live at one of our other sister stations, 35-20. And then you had a wet and wild Friday night. I think that's an understatement considering how much rain hit the Acadiana area. Quite a few games Got pushed back to today. I'll give you the details about that in just a little bit. But we start off not too far away from the 1037 Game Studios. Over in the open air Crowdome. The Turlings Catholic Rebels and the Karen Grove Golden Bears squared off. And the Karen Grove Golden Bears got it done 28 to 10. Cecilia beats Bro Bridge 28 to 12. Acadiana makes a trip up to Grambling Stadium to take on the Rustin team. And Acadiana comes away with a 24-10 win over Rustin. Delcom takes on the one and only Ascension Episcopal Blue Gators. And the Blue Gators roll 45-7. Church Point takes down Iota. Travels to the road. Gets a dub. 21-15. Kaplan beats Erath. That was another Vermillion Parish game of the week this week over on 106.3. And that was a heck of a ball game with Erath. Losing the cap on 30-25, to 25, a late one. Eunice beat Rain 27-20 in double overtime action. Highland Baptist made the trip to Homa. And Highland Baptist comes away with a 42-20 victory. Ville Platt travels to Mamu, beats them 18-12. North Central and Westminster squaring off. And Westminster gets the 46-12 victory. Northside host Opelousas and the Vikings come away with a win over Opelousas 16-10. Northwest shuts out Pine Prairie 21-0. The Notre Dame of Acadia Parish Pios stand up 41-7 win over Welsh. Sacred Heart travels to Catholic High Point Capee. The Fighting Cody Schutzes get a 28-22 win. Then you go over to Rebel Stadium where the Southside Sharks took on the Golden Tours of Sulphur, and they were burning the midnight oil, buddy. This game wound up going pretty much right at midnight. This game went till game started at around 9 o'clock, and Southside comes away with a 45-28 win over at Turling's Rebel Stadium. Obviously, Southside Stadium isn't complete just yet. It's not quite fully operational like the second Death Star in Star Wars. St. Thomas More, they were fully operational with a 54-12 win over the Westgate Tigers. Walker Howard, Jack Besh, we'll get to that guy in just a little bit. But that is a huge game for the Cougars, avenging their loss last year. Mind you, last year they had Kayshawn Boutte, but now they don't have them, and it feels like the team has lost a little bit of the step. 
Vermilion Catholic gets it done over Hanson Memorial 56-8. to Centerville beats Central Catholic 24-18. to A.J. Allender shuts out Morgan City 61-0. Jennings, Trevor H. Ann and crew gets it done 64-28. to And finally, St. Ed's beats Natchitoches Central in a nail-biter 35-34. Really fun ball games this week in the Acadiana area. You gotta love some high school football on a Friday night, on a wet and wild one at that, because we had so much rain hit the area yesterday. I know especially out in the Berry because of the fact you had, I know our guy Troy Brashear Jr. here do the two-minute drill, and the producer first cup also does some great stuff for the Vermilion Parish Game of the Week over on, once again, our sister station 106.3 Radio Lafayette. He mentioned his house is about like six to seven inches of rain. I know a good bit of people out in the Barry. Hopefully, y'all are safe and y'all are good to go after all that was going on because that was just an absolute mess going on out in New Iberia. But I'm also going to kind of break it down for you just like this. It was a fun Friday night in terms of high school football. Glad to have it. But we've got some more high school football games going on today in the Acadiana area. And we'll start off with the one that's going to be starting up in the next hour. Over on the Rewind, 97.7 FM. I'd say stick around right here if you want the latest involving college football. The NFL going to have Ross Jackson on at 1230. But if you want to hear what's going on with the Lafayette, I'll give you some updates as well because luckily I'm able to kind of keep in touch with what's going on over at that station because it's just a stone's throw away. Well, I'd probably be able to throw a couple stones over there because it's pretty easy. It's like probably about... 40 paces north of me. So Lafayette is going to be taking on New Iberia. That game got postponed, and that was a wild like way of putting this, like postponing this game because the weather kind of got a little bit better. But apparently Coach Fig decided, hey, let's go ahead. And, you know, we got senior night that night, so let's just go ahead and punt it to tomorrow. To tomorrow. And I had the fact that you know, New Iberia, their coach, Kurt Ware, took a little bit longer than usual to get there from what I was able to kind of be told from my sources. So this is going to be on the rewind. Lafayette Hive taking on the Nish Yellow Jackets. Raymond Parts the third. Chad Jones going to be on the call for that one. So make sure you're getting ready for a really good ball game with those two. Lafayette Christian travels to Richwood. This is actually a game that they were originally supposed to play Lake Arthur, but Lake Arthur had to pull out. So the Knights moving on over to North Louisiana, to, to Monroe more specifically, take on Richwood at 2 o'clock. Kickoff, Gaydon taking on Hamilton Christian, a 5 o'clock kick at LCA. So if you want to go over to the north side of Lafayette to catch a pretty good ball game, this is the place to be. Then you have Catholic High, New Iberia, brought up the Barry. They're traveling over to Lauraville. Then you got Berwick at Patterson, West St. Mary at Franklin, Homa Christian at Generette, and St. Martinville at Abbeville. Those are the other Saturday games of note. Of course, we've only got one, and it's the one that we got love to run here on a, on a, our Delta Media family of stations this week. And it is Lafayette High and the Nish Yellow Jackets. The Mighty Lions have been looking good this year, undefeated so far this year. I think this might be where we see this team kind of take the steps forward that Rob Poole was starting to establish. And now we get Coach Fig, Cedric Figaro, former Lafayette High Mighty Lion great. He's been doing some really good stuff with that program. So hopefully they continue their winning ways. But looking at some of the local teams that played yesterday, I'm going to go through some of the big games that really stood out to me. 
Omari Wiggins absolutely made a name for himself against Russ and the Reckon Rams remain undefeated and just continue to look good. But he was a guy that really started to pop up a lot over on the Twitter feed last night. I mean, the dude had a 69-yard touchdown run, pretty nice. And then he took it to the house later on in the ballgame off of Jeremiah Brown only had one pass, and this one was 80 yards, and he took this cat to the house. You didn't have to see him, you know, go full Daniel Jones and trip up as he nears the goal line. No, he was able to get through perfectly. Meanwhile, Carrigo's defense looked golden, holding Turling scoreless in the second half, and they continued to look good as they inch closer and closer to the big game against St. Thomas More. And I think I think we can all agree that is going to be for the 5-4-A crown. Notre Dame, they, not, they dominated all the way against the Welsh. I wound up seeing 55 yards of total offense for the Greyhounds. The Greyhounds just could not get out of the starting gate. And the Pios continued to dominate their opponent. And they looked good early on in the season. Southside also looked good. A bounce-back win after getting trounced by Acadia and I. But you got to be more impressed with Gavin Menard filled in really well for Dylan Monette, who got injured. I was seeing some reports of a broken arm. I'm not going to like posit that. I don't know exactly. But this is kind of just some of the reports that I'm seeing right here, right now. Apparently, could be a broken arm. Hopefully, it's nothing too major because that would be a huge blow to this team. But again, you know, Gavin Menard, three touchdowns for the Sharks in the win over Sulphur. A bat. Quarterback getting the win is absolutely huge. And it was your pretty much typical fair for STM. Walker Howard, Jack Besh, still damn near untouchable. Paxton Parrott was another good player that didn't necessarily like pop up a whole lot in the first few games, and he wound up going off in a good way. Good performance from him. But I brought up Jack Besh for a reason. Because this popped up on the Twitter feed no more than about 30 minutes from the time that I was about to get ready to go on the air. And you might have heard me talk about it in the tease that you saw on Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff, even Instagram, we got it up. And you have Jack Besh, according to a lot of different people, including Mike Scarborough, TigerBait.com. LSU has offered quarterback, Jack, uh, excuse me, quarterback, listen to me, wide receiver Jack Besh. A guy who many people have been wondering, why hasn't LSU offered the man who is currently committed to Vanderbilt? I think what we saw at Catholic High Baton Rouge is absolutely a big reason why we saw this offer happen. Now, does he commit? Because you think about it. Does he wind up like decommitting and jumping ship over to and sticking with Vandy, or does he go over to LSU and decommit from the Commodores? Because you think about it. You hear it all the time. Go back to Travis Etienne at Clemson now. He was offered by LSU, but LSU got in late in the game. Clemson was there from day one. How much does going to LSU, staying stateside, mean versus the loyalty that seemingly, again, seemingly is established with Vanderbilt, who has been around and has offered him way before and has been in contact with him for a while? That's kind of the real million-dollar question that I continue to wonder about commits and how they think these things through. What happens now? Because I'm sure you know Jack Besh would love to be able to play with Walker Howard again down the road because you know 
if you have Walker Howard and Jack Besh in that mix alongside a lot of the other great talents across this state, I mean, Kayshawn Butte is probably going to be still around by the time Walker Howard's able to walk through those doors and be able to be the big man on campus. That's going to be fun to see those all those players put together. It could be an unstoppable force, at least we would hope, but we'll see how things go down the road because, you know, that's future talk. But, you know, it's always fun to posit and speculate wildly. And, of course, if you want to speculate and talk about these things and a whole lot more, you can call us up, 337-706-0111, the Twin Peaks hotline. It is open until 1230. Ross Jackson, the lone guest, only the lonely, like Roy Orbison, but a lot better. Because we got a lot of things to talk about here on Acadiana Sports Station. We'll do that next when we talk about what happened last night with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And the streak, my friends, is over. Back after this on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. It's under the dome with CD. considered world famous but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us just don't talk to him while he's eating lay up there I'm starving now back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game Acadiana's sports station you know what a football game huh I think um, first thing I want to do is um, you know a lot of credit to UAB man I think they've got an incredible football team extremely well coached uh, they've got a great identity on all three phases. Um, we've got a lot of respect for what Coach Clark has built here at UAB. And it's a really good team. You know, I think um, it's tough tonight. You know, they made it tough. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you're having a great Saturday morning, however you're doing so. Obviously, it's a pretty decent, you know, we had a little bit of like a drizzle on my way here to the game studios, but hopefully you're able to drive safe. Trust me, I'm sure a lot of people would love to be able to drive a little bit safer on those roads right now, because it is just like yesterday afternoon, in fact, a ton of accidents. A lot of it was because it was just raining like crazy cats and dogs outside, but hopefully you're able to stay safe and be able to listen in. However you're doing so, be it, once again, through the 103.7 Game mobile app, the FM dial. Hell, even if you're going, getting ready to make that trip up to Tiger Stadium, maybe you're one of those 25,000 in that number. They're going to be spending some time this week watching the LC Tigers from Death Valley. More power to you. We'll talk about them in just a little bit, but if you want to kind of deviate from this conversation I'm about to have about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, you can hit us up, 337-706-0111. The Twin Peaks hotline is open, 337-706-0111. But the Cajuns snap a 21-home game winning streak. The UAB Blazers in Legion Field, and the Cajuns get a big win on the road, improving to 4-1, and 2-1 and one in Sunbelt play. It just it was amazing to see how this team kept fighting back because they were down by double digits with 34 seconds left in the half and it was a bad first half how bad you ask well here's the thing it took until the end of the first quarter excuse me it took until the end of the first quarter excuse me trying to see what happened here so 
Oh, no, I'm looking at the wrong drive chart by team. The where's the cadence? Okay, never mind. Yeah, it was in the until early in the second quarter. The Cajuns did not score. First drive, three and out. Second drive, they get some stuff going. They get they get a nine play drive, but then they go forward on fourth down. First of all, going forward on fourth down in the first quarter, it's a bold strategy, Cotton, but it just did not work out at all. The second quarter was pop bomb. The first quarter was pop bomb for them. You had a overthrown incomplete pass, and I was seeing everybody out on the Twitter. Just immediately say leave Alua saying the man, you know, give Fields a shot. I'm like, give him time. Like that was just a rare miscue from a guy that we all know can be absolutely a monster. And then they have to settle for a field goal early in the second quarter with an eleven play drive that took up three minutes off the clock. They were had a lot they didn't have too many of those long methodical drives and in fact the game winning drive that they had was probably one of the longest drives I've seen the Cajuns put together in a good while because I can remember especially back in the husband there towards the tail end he had a lot of those kind of like three play drives where they're just popping off touchdowns like no more than two at the most three minutes off the clock they're taking that much time off the Cajuns had one hell of a possession in the ball game 14 plays 86 yards, just physical as all get out. Six minutes, 40 seconds off the clock. That's how you do things if you're the Louisiana Raging Cages, if you want to wind up securing the bag and getting wins. They learned that a lot, I think, this past Wednesday, whenever they played Coastal Carolina at Cajun Field. Coastal Carolina killed them, not by, you know, I'd say probably being the better team. They killed them by taking the football away from them, and the Cajun defense could not get off the field to save their lives. They were converting on third down at a very consistent clip, and that was something that I just took away from that Coastal Carolina game, and I think the Cajuns utilized really well, is to have one of those drives where they just march down the field and, you know, old school, you know, old school NFL football matriculate the ball down the field, and that's what happened. 86 yards, 6 minutes, 40 seconds off the clock. That was the defining moment of the game. You look at UAB, they had two drives last more than four minutes off the clock, and both those were 12 and 13 plays respectively. That's a great way of eating up a lot of clock with the construct of college football where it's not like the NFL. If this were a 12-play drive and it lasted four minutes, you'd wonder what the hell was going on. To where it only took 4 minutes 54 seconds, where there are a lot of incompletions, and it was a 12-play, 47-yard drive. That's how That was crazy to see that kind of drive, and somehow, some way, this team was still like fighting and still being able to get on the board and just settle for a field goal. And this was the Cajuns' definition of what I've talked about in the past. They are a second-half team, and I love it. The Louisiana Raging Cages are, without a doubt, the best second-half team in all of college football, in my mind. And it all started before halftime. Because i got to say, that was one of the coolest things I saw. 19 seconds after you know you have a touchdown score on you for the UAB Blazers to go up 13-3, to take a 10-point lead, you immediately respond 
by kicking them in their teeth and making them regret ever kicking to one man and one man only. That is Chris Smith. He is absolutely one of the best kick returners I've seen. Right away, I just was saying, yes, I want this so bad. And he was just so ready. You know, I've mentioned it before. I mentioned during the Iowa State game with Ben beforehand, saying that I think Chris Smith is going to have a hell of a game. Lo and behold, I didn't think he'd have that kind of game where he'd go off and put up like a 95-yard kick return, one of the longest kick returns since Raymond Calais, and then, you know, gets a 100-yard one, which probably should have been marked as 102-103, just my opinion. But obviously, I think the way they mark things now with college is if it's called in the end zone, it's 100 yards. It should be 102, 103, I think. But again, you know, that's just the way things are. But it was overall a bad start, but it proved that the Cajuns are that second-half team because they only had five drives in that second half. Punt, three and out on the first drive, which sucked to see. Because, or It wasn't three and out, excuse me. They were forced to punt. It was a six-play drive. That sucked for a lot of different reasons, mainly because of the fact that you could not capitalize on the old Kevin Foote special, make it, take it. This was a make it, take it, an unusual one, but it could have wound up being a great thing for these Cajuns to get it done and secure the bag and really take control of that contest because they were down by three. You punt it, and they allow a touchdown. After that, you score two straight touchdowns, back-to-back. And so damn good to see that kind of stuff go down. And then we get to the next drive. They force a three and out. The Cajuns defense holds up there. Cajuns score another touchdown to go up 24-20. And then comes the fourth quarter. You've got UAB. They put together seven plays. They don't get very far before an interception. That was just fun to see a fourth quarter interception and then the Cajuns they do have to punt and that's it is what it is like you can't control sometimes having to punt in those kind of situations but the fact you got interception and it was Cameron Solomon getting the interception at the Cajuns 14 yard line preventing preventing you're right preventing UAB from getting things done because they were knocking on the doorstep of being able to secure a victory and come away maybe with a 27-24 victory. Then the Cajuns, they have to punt. It's a three and out. Okay, that sucks. Then comes who I'd say probably could be, if not for Chris Smith, the Sun Belt Conference Special Teams Player of the Week, and I think we need to call him Reese Bleepin' Burns. The man punted a football 78 yards. Even Pat McAfee was shook. 74-yard punt all the way down to the UAB six-yard line. That's how you win football games, my friend. That's how you do this. And then Lucero just fell apart after that interception. Three, Two straight incompletions, and then Acadian high and ram Braylon Trahan secures the deal. This is the definition of a second-half team, ladies and gentlemen. They outscored him. 14-7 to seven in the second half. Hell, I'm going to count that kick return. So 21-7 from that last moment on. 
this last the last kickoff for the Cajuns before the second half before the first half ended, twenty one points to seven, and they pretty much controlled the rest of that ball game. Imagine they scored on that first drive. This could have been a much more definitive victory. But the fact you were able to do this again, one on the road, two, you did this on a highly emotional night, wearing the DJ Looney jerseys. All of them have the Looney nameplate. They played for him that entire game. And nothing but respect for what the Cajuns did on Friday night. A night typically reserved for high school football. It was a wet and wild Friday here. But trust me, it was a great night to be a Cajuns fan and somebody who covers the Cajuns and who is an alum from there and has watched this program for a long time. They continue to look absolutely phenomenal. I cannot wait to see what's next for this Cajuns team. And next up, they can be making the trip to San Marcos on All Hallows Eve to take on those darn, I, I'm just going to say it, those darn Texas State Bobcats, who from what I've been able to tell, they're a little bit better than I've given them credit for in the past. Mind you, they still kind of suck, but I feel like they've gotten games where they've been competitive. You know, Boston College, they, they could have won that game 24-21. South Alabama last week, South Alabama beat them by 10 points. This is a team a few years ago that Texas State was an absolute, you know, bleep show. I mean, Texas State started off the year losing a close one. Could have beaten SMU, who wasn't ranked at the time, but now is kind of getting towards that top 15 ranking. Losing by a nail to UTSA. This team is going to fight hard. Yes, the only win Texas State has against UL Monroe, who is absolutely god-awful this year. Thank goodness. This is going to be a real fun year for the Cajuns, and they have Texas State as their next opponent. And now we also found out yesterday that the Cajuns matchup against App State is now going to be a Friday night. It's going to be another SmackDown Friday night for the Cajuns taking on the App State Mountaineers. And then they've got, obviously, they'll wrap up the year in these final five games. You've got Arkansas State after Texas State, South Al. Central Arkansas, UL Monroe, and then an App State game on the 4th. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how things are. So gear up for a really fun November. Obviously with Texas State, that seems to be a win. Probably a one-sided affair, or at least you would hope so. Because if the Cajuns struggle against Texas State, that really makes you wonder, is this team just struggling against like lesser opponents and kind of putting them over a little bit? Because it makes you just, it made me wonder a good bit. But we'll go ahead and take a quick timeout. we got... Talk about some LSU. You'll hear it right here on 103.7 The Game. LSU, South Carolina. Obviously, TJ Finley getting the start. We'll talk about that and so much more. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com. Back after this, Under the Dome with CD. Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana's Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. I think the, the reason that we're not playing well on defense is because of miscommunication, and we have to simplify and we have to find out what our players do best. Let them put their cleats in the grass and play. Uh, there's too many guys wide open down the field. There's too many 
holes in the run game or we're just not all in sync. So Bo and I had a meeting, had a meeting uh, right after the uh, Missouri game, and I asked him, we just got to simplify. I said, I'm not going to tell you what to call, but let's simplify and let's make sure our players know what we're doing. Simplify, a word I am absolutely sick and tired of hearing in 2020. I'm sorry, but over like simplifying the defense, if that's your biggest problem, if you're LSU, it really makes me question a lot. To be quite honest with you, is like, how can you like? What is the difference between? Like, again, I've never played football. I was like when I was a kid, I was like 110 pounds, soaking wet, holding a brick. But I've just been wondering. Like, obviously, you know, there's a lot of differences in terms of the nuances of a three-four versus a four-three. But how can things be so much more different in terms of the way you put together an entire setup? Like, I've just been questioning that for hours this week. Is the oversimplification, I get it. You know, sometimes these guys aren't necessarily getting used to that system. And, yes, COVID hit, and obviously that kind of causes a lot of the lack of continuity and consistency. Because, you know, if you were able to have all the time in the world and a full spring practice, and I know that's something Coach O said earlier this week on the Coach O Show, saying, hey, it's not our. It's we, we can't use that as an excuse to say, "Hey, just because the fact that we weren't prepared enough, because of the fact that we didn't have spring practice." Well, look at the rest of the SEC; they didn't have spring practice either. Like y'all had two practices, and the whole thing had to be shut down. It is what it is. But how can you not have your defense prepared to take on really good offensive-minded head coaches? Mike Leach, the air raid offense, you had so much time to prepare. It's not like, hey, you know, like you had three, four weeks to prepare for them, like the Cajuns did against Iowa State. You knew who you are going to be facing weeks in advance, plenty of time. And I'm sure you're probably spending plenty of time going over what Mississippi State's going to look like. I'm sure you spent plenty of time going over what maybe Mizzou looked like, what Vanderbilt looked like, what all these other teams across the SEC look like. Because you know you're going to have to play them sooner or later. You're playing Mississippi State every year. Arkansas, you're playing every year. And Arkansas looks a lot better than they did in the last three, four years. They ended up Brett Bielema, the Chad Morris era that they want to just pretty much erase completely from the record books. Because that was just sad. This team is so much better than what we've seen. I said last week, during this quote-unquote bye week, LSU has a big problem. And I think it's the fact that you don't have the true linebacker depth and power that you have had in recent years with guys like Devin White and Jacob Phillips leading the way. You don't have that. You've got Bo Pelini and the way he runs this defense. How can you not have it set up to be zone coverage a lot of the, against Mississippi State? When the dude throws for over 600 freaking yards... 600. This wasn't, you know, LSU playing Alabama and allowing 400 yards of offense. This was allowing Mississippi State, Mike Legion's first game, a guy named KJ Costello from the West Coast, to put up over 600 freaking yards. And then you make the trip up to Mizzou. Short notice going to Mizzou, but you know what? You knew you were going to play them. You knew that was going to actually happen. 
Mizzou's without some of their wide receivers due to COVID-19. They have to have their game the next week against Vanderbilt canceled, postponed. And you allow them to basically run all over you. This was a game, I, I was wanting to say this a couple weeks ago, but of course I didn't have a show because of Hurricane Delta and everything going on. But I'm sure everybody in the Acadiana area and state of Louisiana in general would have loved to have a smile on their face, something to smile about on a Saturday whenever people's houses were ravaged by winds, trees all down all across, people are going to be without power, people in Lake Charles are still dealing with the after effects of Laura, they get hit with Delta, like a double whammy. Got to be kidding me. How can you not, like, lose? How can you lose? To Mizzou, I am. It frustrates me to no end that this is where LSU's at right now. As somebody who is noted to not be the biggest LSU fan, I understand that there's so much to root for when it comes to LSU, the history of this program, the way Coach O has run things over the first few years. 2019 was going to be the year, whether they liked it or not. Because they were probably just poised so much to do that. The amount of talent, the amount of great ability that they had. Now we sit here in 2020 and wonder what happened to that team. Yes, you lost 14 players. Yes, you lost all these guys opting out and whatnot. Injuries. It's a thing that happens in 2020. But how can this team go from being the top of the pops in the world of college football to meandering, losing to programs like Mississippi State and Mizzou? You lost to Mizzou, a team when Coach O was taking over as interim head coach. He destroyed them. He destroyed them. And this wasn't with Joe Burrow. It wasn't with Miles Brennan. It was with Danny freaking Edling. It's 2020, people. And we're sitting here seeing LSU lose to Vanderbilt, barely beat Vanderbilt, lose to Mizzou and Mississippi State. I'm not Ed Ogeron should not be fired. Don't hear me wrong. Both Bellini should be fired. First things first. And here's another thing. This is something that we had in our Sacred Swim question of the day. And our guy Darren F. brought this up. Regarding your question, will LSU win Saturday if Brennan doesn't play? And Darren's response, yes, he's been in the bench for years and for a reason. I think the changeup will be needed. He had his chance and blew it. How the hell did he blow it? Did he Does he play on the defensive side of the football and I don't know? I'm completely flabbergasted that people think, you know, when it comes down to it, they want to cry and complain because of the fact, oh, our quarterback isn't doing enough. The quarterback's doing plenty. It's the damn defense that's screwing everything up. LSU's putting up 30-some-odd points, and they are losing ball games. In the SEC of old, in 2019, if you put up 30 points, odds are you're probably winning a lot of ball games. Makes me sick to hear some of the people just wanting to see Miles Brennan. Oh, hey, Miles Brennan, go away. We don't, we don't need you. A guy that stuck around with this program. It's one thing to say, hey, you know, he's not that good. He's, he hasn't necessarily worked out the way we want him to. It, it, that's fine. But to just throw him out because of the fact he's not Joe Burrow. 
Joe Burrow was great. He's probably a once-in-a-lifetime type quarterback that LSU's going to have. I think there's still some great stuff in the future for Walker Howard. There's going to be some great talent coming to that program. Garrett Nussmeyer, the list can go on and on and on. But beyond that, unless you're getting Arch Manning, you're going to... You might as well just start searching for the transfer market and just not recruit any quarterbacks and just focus on the damn transfer portal if you want to have success in the SEC or anywhere else. But guess what? You just don't know. I'd love to see Miles Brennan succeed because I think he deserves that opportunity. He could have left once Joe Burrow came around. Because he could have left after a couple of years under Ed Ozeron, and go to another program. But he stuck around because he likes Coach O, and Coach O likes him, and I think Coach O is going to help him become the best Miles Brennan he can be. People got to realize, I'm going to go ahead and make a pro wrestling reference here. People who watch pro wrestling know that the biggest draws in the company's history and the history of pro wrestling are Stone Cold and The Rock. There will never be another Stone Cold or Rock. There will just be the first so and so, the first so and so, the first big, the next big name is just going to be the first fill in the blank. Let's say, for instance, with AEW, there's no first Stone Cold, there's no next Stone Cold Rock over there. It's the first John Moxley. You can only be as good as you can be. You can't pigeonhole a guy like Miles Brennan and call him the next Joe Burrow. He's Miles Brennan. He can only do as good as Miles Brennan can. And Miles Brennan's doing a pretty damn good job. I can't wait to see what TJ Finley and crew do tonight. But don't hate on a man like Miles Brennan from St. Stanislaus, Mississippi, who has one thing I think we notice a lot, especially in the world of recruiting, is kind of missing these days. Loyalty. He's got he's a Kendrick Lamar. He's got loyalty inside his DNA. And the guy has continued to show that is the fact that he stuck around. He could have left. He could have been like a lot of these other guys. Like, remember Brandon Harris? He transferred. Anthony Jennings? He transferred over to UL, and that was kind of a mixed result. But when it came down to it, Miles Brennan could have left, but he stuck around because he has that loyalty that I think is, again, kind of missing in this current like world of, you know, instant gratification, what have you done for me lately? Because, again, I think there's a there could have been a chance he left, but thankfully he didn't and has a chance to really do some great things with LSU. It's a matter of time. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD. We'll be back after this, wrapping up hour number one in style. And maybe I'll get some stuff involving college football now that the Miles Brennan rant and why Bo Pelini is the reason why LSU has been struggling not Miles Brennan. Back after this on 1037 The Game and 1037 Game.com. Under the Dome with CD is far from your ordinary sports talk show. I am the voice of the voiceless. What other show has more pop culture references than an episode of Family Guy? I just don't want to be involved in any of that mess. Now back to the famous CD on 1037 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. Quick segment before we get to our number two. 
And, of course, make sure you get in on the action inside the 103.7 The Game Clubhouse because we've got all kinds of great stuff up for grabs for you right now, and I'd recommend you hurry up and try and get this while the getting's good when it comes to the all treats, no tricks sweepstakes, no tricks, all treats sweepstakes, excuse me, where you can win $500. Yes, you remember right, a $500 Visa gift card to treat yourself like it's Parks and Rec, baby. It's time to indulge this October. Buy what you really want. It's a no tricks, all treats sweepstakes powered by Larry Delcom AC and Heating. You can win a $500 Visa gift card. Free to enter and free to join the clubhouse. So make sure you get in on the action at 1037thegame.com. While you're there, also enter in for the Twin Peaks Pro Pick'em Challenge. Your boys standing in kind of second place right behind my guy, Ben Love. But trust me, we are going to kind of jump over that hurdle before too long because i got to say, my picks this week, I'd recommend you listening later on in the program, about 11.15 or so. I'll give you what my picks look like for week number seven in the NFL. So make sure you stick around for that as well. Ross Jackson at 1230. We're nearing the high noon hour. Also give you an idea of what's going on across the world of football. But more importantly, the Saturday Sports Sermon will be happening. And we'll get to that once we start hour number two of two sweet hours of sports talk radio. Next week, only an hour and a half because of LSU Florida pregame 1230 kickoff 230. Auburn, excuse me, LSU Auburn. I'm thinking, I'm thinking two weeks ago, whenever LSU Florida was supposed to play. But, you know, that's what happens. Anyways, so yeah. Make sure you're listening to Katie and a sports station for LSU football. Because we got that tonight. Four o'clock pregame, six o'clock kick. And you'll hear it all. Chris Blair and crew, Hunt Palmer, Marlon Favorite, and Brandon Taylor started off with the pregame show. And they handed it over to Chris Blair and crew for the actual game in Death Valley. I'll be back after this. Under the Dome, Hour 2 with CD coming up next. We are Acadiana's. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Power two underway here on 103.7, the game at 103.7thegame.com. And boy, oh boy, it feels like a true college football Saturday. Why am I saying that? Well, we got the Big Ten finally decided to join the party. I feel like a guy, Bruce Wilson, diehard. Welcome to the party, pal. And we got a couple games going on right now. Right behind me, I got the 
Ohio State University taking on those Cornhuskers of Nebraska. Justin Fields has been looking good so far. One touchdown, nine for nine, and a 124 yards and a touchdown for him taking on the Nebraska Cornhuskers. But right now, I think the bigger story is the Seattle Man. Play us a song, you're the Seattle Man. Taking on Michigan State Rutgers up 21-7 to right now. So maybe Greg Schiano looking pretty good over in the Big Ten in their really weird truncated season. Why didn't they just follow everybody else is what it is. Right now as well, some other matchups. Number one, Clemson beating down Syracuse 17-7. to I know Dave Schultz is probably crying a tear in his beer right now at that one. Then you have... North Carolina, come on and raise up after what they did last week, losing as a fifth-ranked team in the country, which was just a weird statement to say. But North Carolina raising up, beating on NC State 14 to nothing. The Kansas Jayhawks and Kansas State squaring off right now. 10 nothing lead for Kansas State. Man, that's, that's just a damn good team this year. Kansas State is looking pretty good. Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina, a Sun Belt matchup. And here's something crazy. The quarterback for Coastal Carolina, he's out. And Fred Payton is taking the hot tag, and he's leading this team to a 14 to 7 lead. Two touchdowns, a nice six of nine passing, 153 yards through the air. Outside of that, though, no real top 25 matchups to kind of talk about, but let's just go ahead and run through. What's going on around the SEC? Because I think that's where everybody wants to see what's going on with those teams. And there's some fun ones so far in the early slate, including Auburn, Ole Miss. Both teams kind of in a weird kind of motion right now. But right now, 14 all. Auburn, Ole Miss. Ole Miss just kicked the extra point to tie things up with three minutes left in the first half. Then later today, we get the game. I think everybody and their mom has been looking forward to Alabama, Tennessee. Maybe because of the fact that we get to see Alabama play Tennessee. It's the Alabama Revenge Tour. I've mentioned it before. That'll be fun. Then Kentucky, Missouri, going to be starting at 3 o'clock. And the only other SEC contest is going to be a 6 o'clock kick between LSU and South Carolina. And that line's dipped down a lot. And this is something me and Ben talked about yesterday on Bummer to Bumper Sports is the fact that the line was way too high, about a seven-point odds when it comes right down to it. That was surprising. Now it's four and a half. A lot of money is coming in now from South Carolina. They're wanting to raise up like North Carolina. After beating Auburn last week, they're definitely feeling mighty confident. But again, four and a half point favorites LSU still is. Over under 55 and a half, and I feel like that could be, if it goes over, I think we'd be very concerned about LSU's chances in that contest. That's just the way I seize things. But hopefully you see things a little bit differently because, trust me, I just feel like this LSU team has been struggling mightily early on this season against lesser foes. But we'll talk about that later. Or we've already talked about it earlier, but we might talk about it again later on. But, you know, it's time to kind of get down to brass tacks and what's causing all this on a Louisiana Saturday morning with the Saturday Sports Sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. 
Stan Van Gundy is your new head coach of your New Orleans Pelicans. Became official the other day. I've had some time to think about it, have some time to think things over. And I think the biggest thing is, if you're a fan of the Pels, Louis Prejean, listen in. Give him time. Give him all the time in the world. Make sure that he is the guy. Because, again, you've had so many chances to screw this up, to louse this up somehow, some way. And I want to see the Pels succeed. But this is a big chance that if you screw it up, it won't be good for the future of this franchise. David Griffin made a heck of a hire. But I think you got to give this a little bit of time to ferment and figure out what exactly all is going on with this entire story. That's where I'm sitting here in 2020, nearing the end of that, and getting ready for the next season of the Pelicans. I think this was the right hire for the long term. This isn't a, oh, hey, let's put him on a four-year deal and after a couple years, we'll fire him and get somebody else to take over. If he stays healthy, he's able to keep going. I think he will get this team into contention as being a seven or a six seed, five at the top, as of right now. I think they could be a five seed in the West. That's their ceiling. Their floor is about tenth or twelfth in the is about tenth in the West. They can be on the cusp, in my mind, of being towards the upper echelon of the Western Conference. But they can't quite get over it. Because, it, again, it's a small market woes. It's a small market struggle. And the fact that the West Western Conference is absolutely stacked, and it looks like it's going to be that way for the foreseeable future, the Golden State Warriors are going to be back in that conversation. The Portland Trail Blazers are be back in the conversation. If the Houston Rockets can get their bleep together, they'll probably be in the conversation. The Oklahoma City Thunder, they'll probably continue to be in that conversation. There's a lot of teams. The Utah Jazz, well, I could go on and on. The Western Conference is absolutely stacked. If they were in the Eastern Conference, I could probably say they were probably maybe a top four seed every year because they could be that good and eat on a lot of those opponents. I didn't even bring up the Denver Nuggets. We know the Nuggets have been damn good over the years. They've been a thorn in the Pelicans' side in recent history. The Pelicans have so much potential way more potential than I thought they would have months ago. Because I felt like the Pelicans had peaked with Alvin Gentry. It was the right time to get rid of him. I said it for a while. I wanted Kenny Atkinson so bad. But after really thinking about it, I like this hire. Because of one reason. Stan Van Gundy is going to be a great teacher is going to teach these guys how to play the right way and be able to teach them make sure they understand you know dude cat's got some skills with the ball so i think he's going to help guys like zion williamson guys like Nikhil alexander walker like jackson hayes like some of the future draft picks that are be coming through the pipeline to the turnstiles at the pelicans training facility i think you see the Pelicans get things done, and they perform at a very high level 
in a couple years. Now comes the question, what's next? I think it's time to start figuring out how you can get rid of Lonzo Ball. However you can, get rid of his ass. You do that. I think you set yourself for a lot of success. You keep Drew Holiday. You try and think of J.J. Redick wants to stick around for one more ride trying to redeem himself after missing out on the NBA playoffs. I think that the Pels, our team, they have to be patient for. Because I think in two, three years, Zion Williamson becomes an all-star. Zion Williamson can help lead this team to the playoffs. Maybe win a series. And I still think there's that possibility where they can get into a conference finals. But they still need to have a guy like Stan Van Gundy to help build the foundation. To build it. To form it up. And form that bleeping wall that he keeps talking about all the time. Form the wall. Or form the levy, I should say, now that he's in the Crescent City. And he's going to help lead this team to greener pastures. So hopefully we get to see that entire story. So I'm just going to say it. I think we are on the cusp of seeing the Pelicans achieve some of their wildest dreams. The nightmare is over. The long national nightmare is over. Louis Prejean doesn't have to worry about taking a nap and praying to his Zion Williamson statue in his apartment. Which he has, by the way. He doesn't have to pray to the deity that is Pierre, the pelican. Doesn't have to pray to the seven deities that are the king cake babies. He just now has Stan Van Gundy as his coach. The wall has been formed. Now we wait for whenever this season is going to be in the great league that is the NBA. Well, it's okay. Just it's not my thing. I'll admit it. The NBA isn't necessarily my absolute favorite sport. It's fun to watch, but I feel like I'm always going to be a football baseball kind of guy. I'll dig into some basketball on occasion. It's a fun sport. The college ranks, I love it. Eh, not so much the NFL, the NBA nowadays. It's just the way the super teams are and the way those dynamic duos are now, it's like, eh, you kind of know what's going to happen. It's it's a lot like maybe a pro wrestling storyline that's very much telegraphed and you know where things are going to go. But I think, I don't know where this is going to go when it comes to the NBA. The NBA has some issues. But I think now we sit here in 2020 and we can't wait to see the next issue of the NBA. Whenever that is, hopefully Christmas Day. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Appreciate you listening in however you're doing so, be it through the 103.7 The Game mobile app. It's absolutely free. Amazon Alexa, Google Home, however you're doing so. Trust me, we got a lot of different ways to listen in to this station. All the great stuff we're bringing to the table And, of course, we're going to talk with our guy, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast, All Saints Considered, in about, you know, let's say 30, about 20 minutes or so, because we're about to hit a quick commercial break. Come back. i give you an idea of what's going on in the NFL. give you my picks for this week. And also, look at some of the spreads, because I'm sure 
There's going to be some covers and a lot more to get to. Also, the Shiano Man still looking good. Back after this on 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Hopefully have a great Saturday, however you're doing so. Hopefully you're also staying, staying dry, because I think that's the most important thing right now. It's just been a weird, like wet and wild Friday night. It's a little rainy, but obviously maybe some more rain coming with them, uh, reports and some of the spaghetti models saying there's another hurricane that could be hitting Louisiana. Gotta love it. Gotta, gotta love Louisiana, right? You know, that's just, that's just great. But, you know, I have to say, I've, I've been enjoying what's going on right now in the world of the NFL because I've been doing, like, a lot better than I thought I was. So, yeah, I only got five wrong last week on the Saints bye, and it was Packers, the Rams 49ers game. I got that. I picked the Rams, so I got the Packers wrong, Patriots wrong, and the Giants wrong i can't believe the giants won that damn game last week against washington but i did get some like like big upsets the falcons beating the vikings that was like a very low like minority pick there but not much else was really kind of like saying hey this is going to be a fun week of football but it was still did pretty good last week only five misses continuing to move up in the world at least amongst the VIP standings, which I have to say, I'm very impressed. Ben Love really looking good right now amongst the B2BS leaderboard. I got Kevin Foot, not so much. You know, it's basically here's how the standings look right now, and it's a very tight race for second place, which I am holding. Ben Love in first place with 6,000 overall points. Last week he put up 1,100. Then it's me. Then Lewis and then Ray's standing at fifty two hundred. It's it's definitely gonna be a lot of fun to see how the VIP standings turn turn out. And I got Foot with his shawls. He's only got three thousand points. He's still he's a ways away from us in the VIP standings. But now it's time for me to get to who I've got for week number seven. I can't believe it's week number seven already. And it's time to look at in the league where they play. Gotta love to hear that music. Gotta love to hear that music. First of all, let's go to week number seven. I got the Eagles pick right on Thursday Night Football. Daniel Jones and that absolutely amazing meme that he created single-handedly. So damn good. So, hey, the Eagles beat the Giants, so I had that pick. Then we get to the Washington football team taking on the Dallas Cowboys right now. It's a virtual pick on the spread. The Dallas Cowboys are one-point favorites against the WFT. And this is obviously without Dak Prescott. And after what we saw last week, it makes you wonder, do you go the route of picking the Washington football team with Ron Rivera as he's getting ready for his final cancer treatment? More Big ups to him for fighting through that. 
while also being the head coach of a football team that's been mired in all kinds of controversy. But give me the Dallas Cowboys getting the win. Then we go to the Buffalo Bills taking on the New York Jets, currently a whopping 10.5-point favorite per Bavada over those J-E-T-S. Sucks, sucks, sucks. Give me the Bills. Easy to get the win here. I'd say they run away with this one. It's a blowout victory. Then we got to the matchup we'll talk about with Ross Jackson just a little bit. The New Orleans Saints and those Carolina Panthers. Sharp teeth and claws. And the New Orleans Saints currently seven-point favorites inside the Superdome, which is going to have 3,000 fans finally after LaToya, the Destroyer, which sounds like a Globe character, by the way. Really like the fact that it's actually become a thing. But the New Orleans Saints, I got them beating the Carolina Panthers, but it's going to be a lot more competitive than you think. 91% whopping has them over the Carolina Panthers, who have looked a lot better without Christian McCaffrey. Mike Davis has looked good. Let's be Cam Newton. Teddy Bridgewater has looked good. So give me the Saints, but it's going to be a close one. I think the Carolina Panthers do cover that seven-point spread. Then we get to the Green Bay, Wisconsin Packers. Taking on those Houston Texans. Green Bay currently is three-point favorites. And you got to go with Mr. Rogers. Rogers getting the win. Go Pack Go. They get the victory. Then it's the Browns and the Bengals. The battle for Ohio with the Browns and the Bengals. I'm going upset special here. The Browns did not look good against the Steelers. The Bengals have had like moments where they look good and they just stumble. This isn't one of those games. Give me the Cincinnati Bengals and an upset to beat those Brownies. By the way, the spread for that one is currently three points for the Browns and Baker Mayfield. Then we get to those Atlanta Falcons and the Detroit Lions, two just cellar dwellers in the NFC, no chance in hell of making the playoffs currently. Atlanta's two-and-a-half-point favorites. Give me the Detroit Lions getting the win here because I think, you know, now that you've got that win, I mentioned last week, you get the win if you're the Falcons with the new head coach the first week. I don't think it's going to be two wins in a row for the Falcons. I hope not. Just give them one in 15. I'll be fine with it. That way they don't get Trevor Lawrence and just start popping off after that. Then we get to a battle of the unbeaten, the Steelers, and those Tennessee Tannehill Titans. By God, this is a tough one, to say the very least, to kind of outright give you a hard pick. It's a virtual pick. A minus one point favorites are the Tennessee Tannehill Titans. Give me the Titans getting the win here, and it is just just on the Twin Peaks Pro Pick'em Challenge right now. But you can enter in right now. It's free to enter this contest. 51% of you will go with the Titans. 49 with the Steelers. But give me the Titans getting the win, remaining undefeated. Derrick Henry is an absolute bowling ball of a player. And we get to another unbeaten team in an NFC West battle, a showdown. The Arizona Cardinals. Actually, excuse me, this is going to be Sunday Night Football now. 
the Seattle-Arizona game. I keep forgetting they switched this up on us. It didn't really necessarily pop up on the Twin Peaks Pro Pick'em Challenge, which you can enter in right now, 1037thegame.com. Two and a half point, three and a half, excuse me, three and a half point favorites are the Seattle Seahawks. Give me Seattle getting the win here. I think there's a possible, I think the Cardinals do cover. Because I think the Cardinals are a damn good team. Is the Seahawks are a little bit better, but it's going to be a wild and woolly ball game. Then we get to the really fun game with the 49ers at Patriots. Yes, you're right. The 49ers at Patriots. You got to give me the San Francisco 49ers, but it's going to be barely. I think the New England Patriots have been struggling. Currently, the Niners are two and a half point favorites. Two and a half point dogs, excuse me. So two and a half point dogs. Give me the 49ers over the Patriots. Then we go to Kansas City for the Chiefs-Broncos matchup. Kansas City currently eight-point favorites. Give me the Chiefs to win, but Broncos to cover on that one. And again, the Twin Peaks Pro Pick'em Challenge is just like heads up. No spread, none of that. Then we get to the Chargers taking on those Jacksonville Jaguars from Duvo. Seven-and-a-half-point favorites of the Chargers. Both these teams, one win on the board. Tarot Taylor could be back, but I feel like they're going to stick with the hand that's gotten to a win. That's your boy, Justin Herbert. Then we get to the match that was originally supposed to be Sunday Night Football, but that's now Buccaneers-Raiders, a 305 matchup. Dolly with the Bucks and the Raiders. Tempe is three and a half point favorites. I went with the Bucks here, but I feel like maybe the Raiders could pull off a mild upset here. But I feel like the Bucks are starting to click, and it's dangerous for next week when the Saints play those Bucks. Because trust me, add Antonio Brown to the mix, your chances of winning may drastically go down. Then we get to the lone Monday Night Football game. Feels refreshing to say that. Chicago taking on those L.A. Rams. Rams are currently six-point favorites. Can the frauds, the team that I've called fraudulent, get a win? I think so. I think they do win this contest. As per the use, the tiebreaker for the Twin Peaks Pro Pick'em Challenge, total points scored for the game between the Bears and Rams. And I do this every game. It's a fun fact. I love to do this each and every week. The total combined points... 69. It's a nice number to put on there. That's what I got for this week. Hopefully this week is the week where I can start hopping over people and hopping over the one they call Ben Love. Well, they call him that because that's his actual kayfabe government name. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD. You're listening to us live on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com, smart speakers, mobile apps, however you do so. We appreciate you listening in. Got Ross Jackson coming up in just a few to talk about those New Orleans Saints and more. Be back after this on 1037 The Game.
Numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037, The Game. It's part of the deal this year. We've talked about the distractions and focusing on the things you can't control. You know, last night... We spent a lot of time relative to how we want to put the plan together uh, in place of him, and uh, and we'll, 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 we'll do so accordingly. Sean Payton talk about replacing Emmanuel Sanders, who is currently out on the reserve slash COVID list. So, yeah, that's definitely something. This is going to be huge. And the fact that Michael Thomas is out, definitely pawball heading into this Sunday's matchup against those Carolina Panthers, sharp teeth and claws. We got one man that definitely loves to have a, a sharp tongue, if you will. Our guy at Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast, and also at the Canal Street Chronicles. Ross, what's going on, dude? Hey, brother. Doing very well. Always a pleasure to be here with you, man. How are you holding up? I'm holding up all right, man. You know, obviously, it's just been a weird, like, last couple days, like, last week, in fact. It's like you find out that the Saints are finally going to have 3,000 fans in attendance. We find out. On Thursday, that, hey, high school football in, in the Lafayette area is able to have 50% attendance. And then it starts like a torrential downpour all day Friday that kind of just puts things. It's like, are we really going to go out and go like watch football? Why not just listen to it on the radio in Acadiana Sports Station? I cover a lot of high school football. But when it comes down to it, Ross, it's been a wild week for the Saints. Yeah, no, no kidding. I mean, you know, look, you have the uh, highly anticipated return of Michael Thomas getting cut short with an additional hamstring injury that he suffered during Wednesday's practice. And then you have the, you know, the, again, the 3,000 fans that are uh, expected to be at the New Orleans, at, at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. I keep wanting to call it the New Orleans Superdome because we don't know what the name of it is going to be next season. Um, but, you know, 3,000 fans going to be there. But then you get the news that, you know, Emmanuel Sanders is being placed on the COVID list. And obviously, first and foremost, and beyond all else, we just hope him a speedy and quick and safe recovery more than anything else. But it, it has been just sort of a whirlwind uh, for the New Orleans Saints and for New Orleans Saints fans so far this week with a lot of ups and downs going on throughout the sort of news cycle that surrounds the team. And, you know, Ross, like, just thinking about everything going on with Michael Thomas, this is something that me and, like, Ben have posited over, like, the last few days is with, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, it's a hamstring slash ankle. Are we sure the injury's just not spreading from the ankle to the hamstring? Well, it, it's funny. Like, the thing about it is that probably, and I, I don't know which leg, I mean, we know which leg the, the ankle sprain is on because yeah. we watch it happen. We, I don't know which leg the uh, the hamstring injury is. But I'm curious to know if it was the opposite leg, because oftentimes what happens is that with a high ankle sprain, you feel fine after a few weeks. But the problem is that you don't necessarily have the full explosion, explosion, you don't have the full strength back there. And so you end up compensating at certain other parts of your, your runs, your breaks, things like that. And I wonder if, because it was a walkthrough and he was probably pushing himself, he, he's, you know, I don't want to say notorious, but he's famous for uh, really going at it and going full speed during walkthroughs. If in the process of doing that, he overcompensated somewhere because the ankle wasn't fully, not fully healed, because again, it probably felt fine, but there's just lingering issues that come with the high ankle sprain. And I wonder if that compensation of any sort, if it was there, if that's what led to the hamstring injury. Talk right now, Rawls Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. And I think the next thing that we wonder is, what do you think the offensive game plan for the Saints is going to be now without 
Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders as you take on a really good like Panthers ball club. Yeah, yeah. So the Panthers certainly a, a better team than many people expected them to be this season, but still struggling over on the defensive side. We have to remember that at the same time that we're talking about the New Orleans Saints not having their top two wide receivers, the Carolina Panthers may walk into tomorrow's game down both of their starting corners is also a possibility because we know Rasul Douglas won't be able to play for the same reasons that Emmanuel Sanders won't be there. And Rasul Douglas has been their most steady piece in the secondary besides maybe rookie Jeremy Chen who plays safety and linebacker for them, kind of that hybrid role. But then you also look at Dante Jackson, who, of course, former LSU uh, corner, he was questionable all week. Uh, he's questionable now, limited all week, and then also was wearing a non-contact jersey for most of the week in practice. Same thing for wide receiver Curtis Samuel. So there's going to be a little bit of you know same concern or similar concern over on the Carolina Panthers side as maybe what the Saints were experiencing as they were heading to their game and going up against Detroit. So for the Saints, I thought this was going to be a run-heavy attack anyway. You know, when it comes to success. You know, the, the metrics that measure success across a league average when it comes to the defense of Carolina, they are 30th in the NFL in that metric against running backs. So I thought it was going to be a run heavy approach or at least a run game heavy approach where you would see, uh, you know, a, a lot of handoffs and things like that, but also the, the usual plays that are extensions of the run, throwing to the flats, throwing screens, and things of that sort that will get those running backs involved in the game more steadily. And so I expect that to be very much the game plan for the Saints, and I think that that will still just continue to be what it is that they look to do without Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. How much of a role do you think Taysom Hill is going to have in the game like this Sunday? Because, again, we look at the last few weeks of Taysom Hill, it felt like you know the experiment has come to a screeching halt of Taysom Hill with the fumbles and the botched snaps. But how much of a role do you think he's going to wind up having to have in this game as a Swiss Army knife? Yeah, I mean, I think you keep him consistent. You don't you don't change anything much more than you have to in a game plan like this. Uh, you know, you have Taysom Hill out there. He's played 23 snaps in line, 27 out wide, and he's played a few in the slot as well. Excuse me, 27 in the slot and then a few in the, uh, out wide as well. And so I think you still keep him there. He's still played the majority of his snaps in a tight end-like role. And so I think you keep that because it is going to be, I imagine, a more run-focused approach. And so he's a good blocker for you there. Um, the thing that's really interesting is that, you know, uh, Emmanuel Sanders only played 56 of 80, uh, 50, 54 of 82 snaps, if I remember correctly, or 72 snaps from the from last week's game the, or the last game that they played against the Chargers. And so I'm about halfway through charting all of those, and you know, you saw you see Taysom Hill on the field for a lot of those snaps, and those are all snaps in which the Saints offense is rolling without both Emmanuel Sanders and Michael Thomas, because Michael Thomas is unavailable during that game as well. And so you see that the Saints have gone through 12 snaps so far. The Saints run six times, pass six times, but 11 out of those 12 snaps, they went heavy to where they either had two or more running backs or two or more tight ends. So because of those game plans, I think you still see Taysom Hill very much involved as well as the rest of the tight end room and those other running backs, including fullback Michael Burton. Talk right now with our guy, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. And, you know, looking at the defensive side of the football, I think that's going to be something that's huge because of the fact that they know what it's like playing against Teddy Bridgewater in practice. But how much mm-hmm. how much is that going to help, you know, Dennis Allen come up with a game plan to help him out? I think it does help. I mean, what was the big complaint that every New Orleans Saints fan had about Teddy Bridgewater while he was starting those five games that he ultimately won for the Saints? It was that he held on to the ball too long. If the fans are seeing that and if we're seeing that, and certainly the coaches have seen that, 
And I think that for Dennis Allen, what gives you a good sort of barometer or gauge in terms of how you want to approach this game and how to win this game on the defensive side, you only have to look at last week and what the Detroit Lions, excuse me, what the Chicago Bears did. The Chicago Bears were able to get pressure on Teddy Bridgewater and they were able to take advantage of the fact that Teddy Bridgewater and this Joe Brady offense are going to use long developing route concepts, meaning that Teddy Bridgewater has to hold on to the ball. He can't throw the ball as quickly as maybe you would want him to in that type of a system. So for the Saints, they have to be able to get pressure, particularly with their four down linemen, so that maybe they can use some guys in the second level in coverage. And so if they can get that pressure on Teddy Bridgewater, and if they can confuse that offensive line, which struggles against stunts and twists, something that the Saints do very well, especially now with Marcus Davenport back, I think that's really what influences the, the defensive game plan due to the knowledge that they have of Teddy Bridgewater. And, Ross, you talk about the offensive line for the Panthers. I mean, let's flip it on over to the offensive line for the Saints. You obviously have Teron Armstead. He did not practice on Wednesday, but he's been limited the last two days. You have Nick Eason still going to be out with a concussion. How much is that? Like, how do you think this offensive line is going to look with potentially Teron Armstead out right now? It's obviously limited practice, so I'd say right now questionable. The game status up in the air. We'll find out more probably tomorrow, closer to kick. But Nick Eason being out, how much do you think things are going to have to change? Yeah, I think Teron Armstead plays tomorrow. Um, the fact that he doesn't have a game designation at the moment usually indicates that he's either, it's either going to be a game-time decision or he's going to play, and I think it's probably leaning a little bit more towards him playing. But then you have to consider, what do you do with this offensive line, knowing that Nick Easton is out, and if you lose Teron Armstead at any point during this game. So, the, you know, there's sort of the, the proactive nature of all that. I think you're going to see Cesar Ruiz at right guard. The Saints released their injury, I'm excuse me, their, their depth chart before the injury point this week. And we saw Cesar Ruiz listed ahead of Nick Easton even before the injury. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Cesar Ruiz there at that right guard position. And then, you, thankfully, you have a guy like James Hurst who can play both tackle positions and both guard positions. So he ends up being sort of your swing tackle, swing offensive lineman. He already comes in as your sixth offensive lineman primarily anyway. So I think that you sort of look at him to be that guy that comes in as the sixth offensive lineman, but also to be the backup at any of those four positions should they lose uh, you know, any of those players along. You thankfully have a guy like James Hurst to do that. And, you know, look, the, the Carolina Panthers don't have a ton of sacks on the season, barely any, but they do get good pressure, particularly for a guy like Brian Burns, who has been an outstanding edge rusher for them as well as an outstanding special teamer for them. And he's going to be rushing off of the side with Teron Armstead. So if Armstead is hampered in any way, it's a better bit of a matchup for uh, for Brian Burns. So you want to make sure that you have a solidified and very, I'll say, reliable backup just in case in that situation. Ross, I think this is just me throwing like a long, long shot here, but could mm-hmm. you see the Saints putting Jameis Winston in this ball game? Because obviously, with Drew, without with Drew Brees' arm not necessarily being as great as we may have thought, I think this would be a perfect chance to at least see what the Saints would look like with Winston in. Man, I have seen much longer shots than that. I mean, we, we saw a longer shot than that this morning through the PFT, so don't even worry about it. But when it comes down to Jace, uh, to James Winston, I think for the Saints, um, their their best-case scenario is that James Winston never sees the field. And the reason why I say that is because it, it lessens competition for them after the season. You know, we heard uh, Coach Payton talk, Earlier, earlier this week, and he mentioned what I thought was a really surprising thing for him, but we have seen a very transparent Sean Payton this season. Um, he mentioned that they have a similar vision for Jameis Winston that they had for Teddy Bridgewater when they brought him in. And so 
I think that the more positive things that you hear about James Winston, the better. And I also think that the, the less that you see of him, the better, because if the Saints are feeling good about what they found here in James Winston and getting him here to New Orleans, they're not going to want any competition and retaining him going into next season, especially with the salary cap situation being what it is. I think that that's, that's the thing. So unless Drew Brees gets hurt, I don't think that you see James Winston go in. Um, but, you know, we can never say never when it comes to Sean Payton. I mean, you know, I, I never thought we would see an undrafted rookie quarterback from BYU covering punts and blocking field goals, you know what I mean? So you never really know. All right, you brought up PFT, and I hadn't necessarily seen this much. I don't pay attention nearly as much to PFT as I normally do, as I used to. Mm -hmm. But I saw you brought it up, and I had to go ahead and just go straight to Twitter to see what's going on with, with this cat and saying, are the Saints hoping to get offers from Michael Thomas? And apparently he's saying that there's a belief in some circles that Michael Thomas could be available in a trade, quote-unquote, at the right price what would be the right price if you're the saints and you would hypothetically obviously we're just this is pure hypothetical for those who are listening they are not repeat are not trading michael thomas but in our fantasy world what would be the right price yeah i mean andy reed would have to call an offer patrick mahomes probably three or four first round <laughs> picks over the next three or four seasons uh, he would have to buy the entire New Orleans Saints fan base new houses, new cars, and a pot of gumbo. Um, probably, you know, give everybody a little bit of starter money for their own pool boy shop. Like, it, 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 it's, it's a ridiculous thing altogether. I mean, there, there is no right price for a guy like Michael Thomas, right? And I say that, but there probably is, right? Like, there's a right price for any, just about any player in the NFL, but you know, there are just certain situations in which you don't trade players, and this is certainly one of them. You know, you just sign the guy to essentially a $100 million contract over five years. This is just essentially a rehash of the Alvin Kamara conversation at the beginning of the season to where we saw a similar report, and they probably got some really great clicks from it, and then they're yeah. doing the same thing when it comes to Michael Thomas. You know what I mean? And, and I get it. I get it. Like, we're all trying to work. We're all trying to eat. I get it. But uh, now I'm not rushing to say that. Um, certainly, just like I mentioned before, like, we should never say never because – We've seen crazier, but I really don't think that there's any reality in which this actually takes place. All right, but good I, for them. Saturday slash reports. Here all right, we go. Yeah. all right. So hold on. I I just saw this pop up on the Twitter. This is coming from our guy. You brought the transparent Sean Payton. Petty Sean Payton mm -hmm. came out on Twitter, which by the way may be the best version of Sean Payton. He he, re he replied to a tweet from Bleacher Report Gridiron that had this report that we just talked about, and he said insiders on the outside where they belong that is just so good oh <laughs> uh, i love it i love it you see I, I keep telling people i keep telling people that this season we are seeing a sean payton that is more transparent than we've seen before right we saw yeah. we kind of saw it start to happen a couple years ago i can't remember if it was Danny Amendola, maybe it was Julian Edelman. It was one of those guys, they were like boarding a flight to New Orleans, and then there was that report that came out that he was getting a workout with the Saints, and then Sean Payton replied to it and was like, who are your sources or something like that, or like bad sources or something. Yeah. Um, we're, we're seeing that Sean Payton a lot more, right? He like came out and completely transparently talked about how they felt about Larry Warford. They've been very transparent about Jameis Winston, about Jason Carroll. It's been really interesting, and Sean Payton's really giving us uh, a lot more in terms of what we're uh, as opposed to what we're accustomed to. And this is just another example of it. Like this is these are wild reports sometimes. Oh, it's absolutely you know one of those just wild reports, and it's just like I think Sean Payton. I've noticed a lot more, especially like once COVID started to ramp up, and obviously he contracted it, and he was kind of just isolated <laughs> at his home for two weeks. So all he did 
was like stay on Twitter, like all of us. And it was like the best thing ever. Like every time somebody threw out some stupid report or whatever, he'd reply to it and be petty as all get out. That's the stuff I love. But what I also love is when you hear Sean Payton during these press conferences, we played a soundbite to come back from break. And he, but like I cut out the beginning part because it's like he did his whole, well, well listen, you know, all the, all, he did all the stuff. Then he dropped the, <laughs> then he dropped the relative to. All right. So let's have some fun here for a minute. Just talking about Sean Payton. What do you think, like, is the best Sean Paytonism? Is it listen, look, relative to where, where do you lie on this? I'll tell you, I'll tell you honestly, my favorite one, and, and not a lot of people talk about it, but I think it's my favorite one because even I've started doing it because, you know, we've been in the press conferences, is when he tells every single person that asks him the question, you know, that's a good question. That's a good question. <laughs> and then he answers. <laughs> every single question is a good question, which is awesome. Like, you love to get that. You know what I mean? Like, as someone that's asking the question, and, like, for those of us that are, like, new into getting into the press conference world and things like that, like, it's great to ask questions and to be told, that's a good question. Like, it's a good morale boost, but at the same time, it's like, okay, but which ones aren't the good questions? Like, yeah. let me know which ones aren't because you're telling me that all of them are. So I think that's my favorite one. And I've started doing that. Like when I jump on interviews, people that I don't, you know, I'm not as familiar with or I'm not as comfortable with, I'll say, that's a good question. It's a good question. And then I'll answer the question. You know what I mean? And so I've started kind of picking up that same thing. And uh, I think that's my favorite one. Oh no, it's so good. And then it's, uh, the other one is, well, we know, we'll let you know. Right. Right. That's, and that's, that's like, that is, that to me was something that I have been like, that's one that just hits, hits real for me. Because, you know, before I started doing um, sports media and everything, I, I was a, a manager. You know, that was my, my job. My position was within my respective field. I, I managed people. And I would get those questions all the time, like, hey, is this thing happening? Is this thing happening? And I would always say, as soon as I know, you'll know. And so I love hearing that one from, from him as well. I think that that's just such a diplomatic it, it's almost a politician answer. You know what I mean? Look, hey, as soon as oh, I know, oh, you'll it's know. definitely a politician answer. You know? it, it's like <laughs> Sean, Sean Payton's just getting ready to be like, be the governor, be the mayor of New Orleans. I mean, he'd be a lot better than Latoya. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh my goodness! It'd be, it'd be the best. It'd be the best because you know, like we'd get like like those press conferences. Like, like listen, you know, he'd, he'd be dropping all the Paytonisms, and it'd be amazing. And just, right. I, I, I'd love it to be honest. If if Sean Payton were the mayor of New Orleans, I'm sure if COVID were to ha- or something else relative to that, and it'd be a pandemic, you know, he'd be like, all right, guys, we're just gonna have we're gonna have a full we have we're gonna try and pack this as much as we can. Like instead right. of just waiting, in, waiting in, forever, and be like, we're still in, in phase two, right? In in regards to the phases, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in relation to the phases, I just think that it would be hysterical. That would be so good. Yeah, and I saw something earlier, not long after Lewis wrapped up his show. He was talking about the Locked On Saints podcast and you using a lot of big <laughs> words. So, bef- so before we get out of here, you mentioned you mentioned like gargantuan and behoove. What's the biggest word that you've ever used? on the Locked on Saints podcast? Um, I think that, I don't know what the biggest word that I've used is, but I think that the one that I've used that people have written to me the most about was the word matriculation, or, or matriculate. And I mentioned, I was talking about the, the things being able to matriculate the ball down the field, i.e. gradually move their way down the field. Um, and I, when I said that, when I had like three or four people that wrote to me that were like, uh, okay, I had to Google that one. I had to Google that one. <laughs> I mean, I mean, do these that people not know who oh. Hank, Shram, Hank Stram is? Right, right, exactly, exactly. Like, I, I knew that that was very – I thought that was a little bit more common than I guess I thought that it was, uh, or I guess than it really was, but that was probably the one. The other one that I really like using 
is when I talk about the way the Saints will will you know get their run game working, and then I will, I will usually say that they'll get the run game percolating. <laughs> I don't know why I like that I one so that. much. <laughs> but I love that one. And right. then I, I, did, I did drop Diddley Poo a couple times here. here that, that's that's too, fine. That I mean, it's a, it's a Saints podcast. If you don't drop Diddley Poo at least like once or twice a year, then the right. then you start to question whether or not you're really a, a person who covers the Saints, right? <laughs> that's exactly right. Like, there's some that you just do for the culture. You know oh, what I mean? oh, exactly. But you you, br- you brought up matriculate. I actually used that on the show today. There you go. I actually, yeah, because I was talking about the Cajuns game last night, and they had a, it was like a 14 play drive taking six minutes off the clock. And in college football, six minutes is a long time. You right. want to, they want to matriculating the ball down the field to get a touchdown and help secure the bag and get the win over UAB. I was like, and what, right, we said matriculate. I'm like, how can we not be using that more, especially like in, in, in the football world that we're living in? Right. Yeah, I think you're going to hear it a lot more now that the Big Ten is back because that's all the Big Ten does. That's the way they move the ball down the field. Uh, maybe you hear a little bit more there, but yeah, no, I, I feel like this is something that maybe you know maybe we should start throwing out there every now and then. Hashtag matriculate every time that the Saints kind of get rolling a little bit or the Cajuns get rolling a little bit, um, and then see see if we can get it to catch on a little bit more, maybe popularize it a little bit more, so we can get back to using it the way that we really want to. All right, so I've got the idea. Hashtag matriculate for when the Saints have a long, methodical drive. Percolate whenever they're having like a fast drive to score. Uh huh. That, that's like that's what we're gonna do. Like that's it. it. That's a tweet. There we go. <laughs> Every time, just just use it. I love it. We're, we're gonna get it trending. But Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Absolutely, man. Looking forward to it. Stay safe. All right, that was Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast. Should have taken a commercial break to get him on because we're kind of running low on time. I'm just going to go ahead and wrap up the show because, well, I'm about to hit that top of the hour. So I'm just going to go ahead and roll on out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday afternoon. we got LSU football coming up later tonight. Pre-game 4 o'clock kickoff at 6. Back after this. Just kidding. Right here on 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com. Back at you next week with an hour and a half edition of Under the Dome with CD.